When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code RIOT at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 92. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're some of the editors of BookRiot.com. And this might, this is a, it's a record day in the history of the Book Riot Podcast. It is a <laughs> single story day. Yeah. We're going to talk about one story uh, from a bunch of different angles, and if you've been paying, I think you don't even have to be have been paying attention to the book world at all this week. I think if you were just sort of online and aware, at least in North America, you know what we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it's that Kindle now allows you to convert. <laughs> no, <laughs> did that work? Did that work right there? That was good. I was. I was. <laughs> you I got a little worried for a second. <laughs> uh, so the news broke this week in an AP story. That Harper Lee is releasing a new novel. Newish. Well, okay. New to us. <laughs> There's so many pieces to this that I, I don't even know how to start. Except maybe, maybe the the top level first was is I was in the the little we have a new little book ride office in Brooklyn and Jen Northington who's our new events director and I were sitting there working and I saw I think I saw you tweet the link to the AP story. And no, no, it was, it was you in Slack. And then there's a bunch of people going, what? I don't understand. And I literally for about five seconds thought it must be an onion piece or something. So did I. So did I. Yeah. I thought it was a joke. So you didn't believe it either at first. No, but then I read it. And when I saw it was AP, yeah. I like confirmed that it was true in my own brain before I put it on Slack. So, But and, I did. I also, When I saw it, I thought it was a joke. And Jen and I, and I was sort of saying like, we were sort of just like, agog, like literally didn't know what to say. <laughs> and my first, my first sort of coming back down from the holy crap mountain was, could have I have crafted a bigger story to break the bookish internet? And, and my eventual reaction was, well, outside of like space aliens, right? Or like <laughs> some secret identity that, or, you know, something completely bonkers that would be as much at home as TMZ as it is on Book Riot. I don't think I could create a more shocking, interesting story no. than this. No, uh, especially that's about just really just about a new book coming out. Um, I mean, it's not just that, but you know, if an eighth Harry Potter book, no, it, I mean, it would be a big deal, but it not even close to. Can you think of anything? Even what, what would it be even remotely close to? Can you think of anything? I thought that maybe if this isn't a new book, but maybe if George R. R. Martin died before uh, we got the the next books in yes, Game of Thrones, that good. would break the internet. But I don't think even that would break it as much as right. this, because this is a thing people have been waiting 
five decades for. Or know? not even waiting because we just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just assumed we'd never see anything else. Okay, That's well, I assumed I we'd see something, like maybe scribbles or something after she died. Right, like, like the collected papers. marginalia of Harper Lee. Yeah, but never the Library of America. Book. Right, but I never, never another full book. manuscript. Yeah, I, I really couldn't think, I, I, had a, I went the George R. R. Martin way too, but I didn't go that way. I went like, what if suddenly the next two books were available? Or... <laughs> The next book was the last one, and he sort of changed it. You know, like there's something about that, you know, a long lost sequel, complete sequel to The Great Gatsby or something like that. I, I mean, hmm. I don't even know. Jen suggested, like, what if there was a new Shakespeare play? I was like, that's pretty oh, good. Yeah. The problem with that is that we already have all of this authorship junk around Shakespeare. Yeah. That's that true. people would just be like, nah, that's Francis Bacon or the eighth. Dural, Duke of Nottingham or whatever. Um, uh, the Earl of Sandwich. Yeah, the Earl of Sandwich actually wrote that. It wasn't Shakespeare. So, you know, so really besides something like a murder-suicide sort of O.J. Simpson sort of story. It would have to be a death. It, or like J.K., uh, J.D. Salinger isn't actually dead. He's just been hiding out yeah, somewhere. You know, yeah, like yeah. it would have to be something completely bizarre. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like it'd have to be like something that TMZ would run. Oh, yeah. Um, but things that are, you know, plausible, but actually sort of normal. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I mean. But I think what you mean, you know what I mean by that. This is not like some, there's not some extremely bizarre occurrence here. Um, it's it's shocking and strange. And we're going to get into the details and more as we go. But that's the first thing. It's like a new Harper Lee novel um, is, you know, the unicorn of American publishing. This episode of the Book Riot Podcast is sponsored by Squarespace. As you know, building a website can be tough, even if you know your way around code. And creating something that looks good and works well can take forever and be really frustrating. More and more of us need a website of some kind, whether for a hobby, professional experience, professional project, portfolio, CV, resume, business, school website, a whole bunch of different reasons we might want our own website. Luckily for us, Squarespace built a tool that makes it easy to build beautiful, usable websites without falling to pieces about it. If you haven't heard of it, well, go to squarespace.com and you can check it out right there. If you've heard a lot about Squarespace already, and if you've listened to the Book Riot podcast a lot, you probably have. Can I tell you something about the new Squarespace 7? Well, here's, here's what you should know. Squarespace 7, the latest version of Squarespace, newly designed interface, making it even easier to build your own website, and 15 new templates with so much more you can do. Do you need it for work? It can now integrate with Google Apps, so it can connect all of your Gmail, Google Drive, cloud services, forms, surveys. If you're using Google Maps, excuse me, Google, Google Apps extensively, you know what you're going to need it for. If you need other things to make it even more beautiful, Squarespace is a really nice new partnership with Getty Images, so you can take all of your stock image needs and do it right through the Squarespace interface. The billing is built in, very reasonable prices. Make You know how much these days a great image can make a website stand out from the rest. All of this, of course, comes with the classic Squarespace stuff. Beautiful design, simple Powerful interface, 24-7 live chat and email, responsive design so your website looks great on an iPhone, on an 11-inch MacBook, on a 27-inch monitor, on a 30-inch workstation, all the way. Your website's going to look good as possibly can. Every website comes with a free online store built right in, no additional fee, and this is all for only $8 a month. And if you get a free domain, if you buy Squarespace 
for the year. So 12 months of Squarespace at $8 a month, it gets you all these services and your free domain name. No credit card required for the trial. Two weeks, you can start building it right away. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, and I'm guessing if you get this far, if you just try it and you have a good use for it, you're going to want to sign up. And when you do, use the offer code RIOT. That's offer code RIOT to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace for supporting our show. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. The details about what it is only make it more interesting, don't you think? Yes. Like if it were another, we'll, we'll, we'll assume for a minute you've heard of some of this, but it is so... We're going we're gonna to come back to a lot of this because there's a lot of question marks around a lot of this stuff. And I think Amanda and I are sort of on the same page of be, not sure what we know and not trusting everything we're hearing. Is Are you on the same page with me about that? Yeah, I don't trust anything. You don't trust anything. I'm just a ball of cynicism <laughs> and doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's not – it's only more than normal, not a, <laughs> a degree rather than kind. But so here's the story we're being told is that Harper Lee – the book that's coming out is called Go Set a Watchman. It's coming out July 14th of this year um, from Harper, which is one of the print, imprints of Harper Collins, which only makes this more confusing that the name is Harper. <laughs> yeah. um, just one of the, that's one of like, that's number like 25, that's only like the 25th weirdest thing about this story, if you can believe that, that the publisher has the same name as the author. Um, so she, it, the Go Set, Go Set a Watchman, apparently was actually her first manuscript. Yeah. She wrote it before To Kill a Mockingbird. She turned it into her editor at Harper, and her editor said, I like the flashbacks of this little girl, Scout. Why don't you write a book that's just her as a kid? And Harper did that, and that's the book that became To Kill a Mockingbird. So Ghost at a Watchman was written before To Kill a, Mock to Kill a Mockingbird, apparently in total, and apparently it's, it is Scout looking back from the 50s on her town and Atticus and the racial tensions that she grew up seeing and, be, and being witness to. So it is – we don't have a word for what this thing is, right? Because it's not a sequel because it was written first. I saw somebody call it a pre-sequel. A pre-sequel. Because um, it's not a prequel because it takes place 20 years after. after and film. it was written before. Yeah. So – I guess the only way we can really say is that To Kill a Mockingbird was a prequel to Go Set a Watchman is really the, the language we have that's available to us. Yeah. So that's the that, – and that's just the first wave of news. What what do you make of it? I mean, what are you excited – would you rather get sort of a new Harper Lee novel that's not about this? Does it make you more or less interested? Like, parse your feelings double, for me about this. No, I was more interested when yeah. I found out that Scout – that it was about the same characters – um, I would love a Harper Lee novel about something different. Oh, I would take it in addition to for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but I, I definitely am more excited about it. But if you're in like, if you're in, what's that? Um, Let's make a deal. Is that the game show where you get the doors right? I'm not. I don't know the one. You know, you have to pick door one or door two. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. If door one for you is Harper Lee, completely different novel, and door two for you is this story, you're picking door two. This oh yeah. Story. Okay. And you know, it also makes me think. About, like, who is that editor who told her to write To Kill a Mockingbird? I like, know. I, this random person who I don't know the name of is I don't completely know the name responsible of yeah. for one of the most beloved works of American fiction ever. Yeah, talk about a note. That has <laughs> to go down in the history of notes. <laughs> That's like someone getting the, the early draft of Moby Dick, and there's just, like, one chapter about the whale. 
And they're like, hey, you know that whale thing? What if you like, yes, that was all of it. And Melville's yeah. like, you know what? I've got some more stuff to say. I don't, I don't so even know. So much more stuff to say about um, I would like. I read an article about the, 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 the most uh, influential editor's notes of all time, but this has to be way up there. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more interested in it, too. It's, it's, unbel- it's, it's striking. Um, the other thing to remember is that she was quite young, I think, when she wrote these books, right? I mean, no, that's not right. She, wasn't, she was in her mid to late 20s, I believe. Um, so, yeah, so th- this is the – so what's interesting – so that's just one of the interesting – this is the book she first wanted to tell. Um, yeah. And it was – so the other thing that's hard to remember, she wrote it in the 50s before To Kill a Mockingbird. So as she was writing it, it was contempor- – the, the story was contemporary of, of <clears throat> with her own time. Right. She's writing in the 50s about the 50s, mm-hmm. uh, presumably about, you know, some somewhat from her point of view to some degree. Um, OK, so anything else about those details we should say? I don't think so. I think that's I mean, <laughs> that's just all there is. Yeah, it's about it's about Scout. And I, how is she? I mean, I OK, so yes, I apparently do. Have yes, yes. To say. I, just, how is Atticus going to be different I wonder in a thing that takes place 20 years after so yeah. in 20 years he, for 20 years he's been this lawyer in small the small town south mm-hmm. in the middle of the civil rights movement like is he going to be harder or more cynical because originally you know Atticus and right. Lockingbird isn't cynical at all yeah and he's this like beacon of and I wrote this piece about it. I, bo- I wrote a piece about it uh, for a book where I called Uncollected Thoughts about the new Harper Lee novel. I just sort of tried to get some of the stuff out. I'm going to make some of the same points, but also I have, I have other things to think about too. But I, I said, you know, my guess is that he's going to become a more complicated figure. Mm-hmm. Because in To Kill a Mockingbird, he's a great character and a righteous character and an interesting character. But I don't know that I would call him complicated. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. Um, and not and complicated and more like I'm thinking complicated more like an Ahab way, where you know you can only imagine if he's has he been has he been fighting the good fight around civil rights for 20 years, right? And what does that do to you? Has he given up? Uh, did he get murder? I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways this can happen. And um, the perspective change will make that will be interesting because as a child, you know, when Scout yeah. is eight years old, she sees her father as this like avatar of goodness, but mm-hmm. it will an adult. Right. Talk about him in the same way. I don't know. And the other details we know is from, from the other details that we presume we know from what the press, the, the essentially what a press release is, amounts to a press release in the AP story, I'm sure is very tightly controlled and uh, gone over, is that the editor um, of HarperCollins now who brokered the deal and is one of like six people to have read the manuscript, like no one has read it, right. including Harper Lee's current editor, which I don't know what that person does because she hasn't read Anyway. Um, <laughs> Are you really an editor if you've not I, even I, I don't know. That's a good job to have. Harper Lee's editor, um, until now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> he has read the book and he said a couple interesting things. One is it reads like a sequel in many ways. Like that's the actual language. In so, many ways. In many ways. So, and, you know, one thing is like, well, that means in some ways it doesn't. And one way it must happen is if she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird subsequently to Ghost at a Watchman, with the understanding that To Kill a Mockingbird would be the thing that see the lights of day, she probably wasn't sort of have. she probably didn't have like a huge spreadsheet or a huge thing on her wall making sure there was, everything was consistent, right? Right. Like there could be that the the events that we get portrayed, even in memory, into Ghost at a Watchman are things that happened differently in To Kill a Mockingbird. So I don't know, maybe one way of reading it is like, is an alternate history 
of what happens in To Kill a Mockingbird. I think, I think if we're expecting things to line up neatly, I think that's not going to happen. I, I could be wrong, but that's kind of my sense of it now. Because I can imagine if I was rewriting a manuscript and said, make you know, flesh out the flashbacks, and you set the original manuscript completely aside with no intention, you know, you're trying to write the best book you can right then. I don't know right. how you would even, if you would, try to do that. So that's something to keep in mind. Even if um, you're excited about the book and want to read it, I think that's just something you're going to want to keep in mind going into it is like, this was not written with the knowledge of To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. And To Kill a Mockingbird was written with the knowledge of this, but with no need to be consistent or accurate or, you know, totally She never thought it was going to see the light of day. Yeah. For all we know, Atticus could be a different character. Yeah. You know? Um, all we know for sure is that it's Scout's father again, and they're in the South, and it's there's some racial tensions that could be spun out a number of different ways. So there's that bit of it as well. Uh, the other thing that we know, probably the only hard bit of data that I trust, like a hundred percent, to be honest, is the title. Yeah. <laughs> right, because that's not going to change. And the title is Ghost of a Watchman, which um, I think I was the first person not to toot my own horn that went and did the look to see what this comes from. It sounded familiar to me uh, when I first saw the title. So I did some Googling around. And after trying to get through 10 pages of Google News results, that's all this announcements. Um, it turns out it was uh, from the Bible. I thought it was Shakespeare, I have to admit. Um, but it's from Isaiah. And, uh, you know, depending on your translation, it's something like, now go and set a watchman and he go and have him report back on what he sees. Right. So it's about witnessing of some kind. Um, in this particular case, is what the Lord is doing. Go set a watchman. Um, so, you know, my initial thoughts is the thing that makes the most sense to me is that it's the story of Scout being witness to her father's life. Mm. Um, well, go um, ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's that's just my best guess. There's a lot of different ways it could go. What do you think? The that chapter in Isaiah is a is a prophecy based mm-hmm. on a vision Isaiah is having about the fall of Babylon. Yeah, right. And so, my first thought wasn't necessarily witness uh, being a witness to Atticus's life, but being a witness to the fall of something like yeah. some Maybe big institutional the end of Southern Jim Crow institution. Yeah, Jim like Crow that. or legal racism because lord knows you know racism isn't gone um but maybe <laughs> People, to, I, I saw on twitter somebody asking is is this book from harper lee even going to be relevant now and i was like really do you watch the news <laughs> right because game of thrones is relevant and that's what relevance is all we Super uh relevant. yeah that's a really good point i you know that could be it could be a larger a meta watching or witnessing to the end of something mm-hmm. um that's interesting too i think it's a good title i like the title it's hardcore. <laughs> it is definitely hardcore. And Isaiah, you know this better than I, is a hardcore. Yes. Like that is some fire and brimstone and things are going to change and you best watch out. <laughs> um, so go to a Watchman. All right. Let's see. What else do we know? Uh, let's talk about print runs. Two million. Two million hardcover copies in the initial print run. That does sound like a lot. And it is a lot. And the only way I can express to people how big of a lot that is, (laughs) is to give some um, context for, and we talked about this on the show a few weeks ago, Rebecca and I, um, when we did the best-selling books of 2014. And this uh, presumably will be marketed as adult fiction, right? Yeah. Because it's, you know, even if you use the YA, sort of even the most loose definition, which is about young people for young people, 
you know, teenagers. This isn't that. You can make a case, I think, that To, Camille, to Kill a Mockingbird is young adult. And I think yeah. people have made that case. Um, I'm not sure that I would, but it doesn't. Who cares? I don't I don't care about making <laughs> the case. Um, but this isn't. This is a 20, late 20s scout um, talking about her, her father. So to put in perspective for adult fiction titles, uh, the best-selling adult fiction title in print last year was the paperback version of Gone Girl, and it sold just under a million copies. So already this is twice. that The initial print run is twice that. Yeah. Um, the best-selling single title last year was John Green's paperback version of The Fault in Our Stars, sold just under two million. If you put, excuse me, if you put all the versions of, of uh, The Fault in Our Stars together, the movie tie-in version, the hardback, and the paperback, it sold about three million copies. That's the biggest-selling book of last year, and a phenomenon beyond all phenomenons. Yeah. So it's the, the initial print run is not quite there, but it's still twice the best-selling adult title. The next title on that list for the adult fiction 2014, or excuse me, the hardcover, the best-selling hardcover adult fiction title of last year was uh, John Grisham's Grey Mountain at 630,000. No. So, <laughs> you know, three and a half times that. And then right after that was last year also on that top 10 list to kill a mockingbird itself okay. with 350,000. I mean, it still sells. I mean, maybe that's the other thing, you know, there's so many ways of thinking about it is it also reminds us how singular a phenomenon entitled to kill a mockingbird is mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. Um, whenever we run a poll on book riot that has anything to do with favorite, best, most fondly remembered, any kind of good superlative, we actually have tried to write polls where we could imagine To Kill a Mockingbird not being number one. Yeah, we have. <laughs> right? We have. We've tried to do this. So we could, because it's sort of a, it's such a predictable result that Isn't it's Isn't that boring. why we ran the, like, books you don't like? Like, yeah. the books you hate the most. Yes, right. Yeah. Because we were tired of seeing To Kill tired a Mockingbird. Of, and that tiredness, I think, maybe has helped us forget or, I don't know, make banal how popular this book is and has been for 60 years now. Yeah. My son's name is Atticus, so. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, and there's, you're not the only one. There's no, also a million Harpers out there um, for, this, for similar reasons and probably Scout. Isn't one of the Bruce Lee and Demi Moore's kids Scout? I think so. Um, that's I've just told you something about myself right there. I wish <laughs> I could take that back. Um, but anyway, it, it's beyond – there's nothing like it in American letters. The Gatsby also sells a lot every year, but it's like a third. And there was a movie out last year, so or the year before, so there's some echo effect of that. But it is, the, you know, you can make the case it is the singular work of popular American fiction that's also a, a work of, you know, that gets taught and people talk about as maybe the best American novel or thrown in the top five that gets bandied about. So that, and that she's still alive, like it's in our lifetime too. Like this is not Mark Twain we're talking about or Nathaniel Hawthorne or, you know, Gatsby or Hemingway or Willa Cather or Ellison or Zora Neale Hurston, like a living legend. Um, it's just, I, it's really hard to know. And um, it's one of those things I think too, when all of us who pay attention to things are older, you know, we're in our own seventies and eighties that we were alive at the same time of Harper Lee. Well, something will blow our grandkids away, I think. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, my grandmother was born when, uh, before the great Gatsby was published. I mean, that kind of blows my hair back. What, what's left of it at least. So there's that. Yeah. I think they're going to sell out. You think, yeah, I was going to say, do you have any predictions? We could make a prediction right now and then come back when we get books. You think it's going to, I mean, that doesn't count for eBooks, right? Which there will right. be an eBook available. That was, they also made that clear. 
You're, they're going to sell out. It's already the number one best-selling book on Amazon. Already. I already pre-ordered it. Did you already? I haven't yet. Yeah. I probably, I'm sure I will. Um, and To Kill a Mockingbird is now bumped back up to number three on Amazon. <laughs> I saw on Amazon that the uh, hardcover is going to have deckled edges. Oh, really? Which is, which is another reason that I just went ahead and bought it. You're a deckled edge person? Love it. Yeah, love okay. Deckled edges. I have mixed feelings, but who, no one cares about my mixed feelings. <laughs> you about, have mixed feelings about deckled edges. I have mixed feelings about everything. This is my constant <laughs> state of, of being. Um, so there's, yeah, so your thing is going to sell 2 million plus. Absolutely. What do you think? Is it going to sell, let's say, here's your over-under. Is it going to sell more or less than the total number of the Fault in Our Stars book sold last year in print? About more. three million. More. You think more? More than three million? Yeah, totally more. If they have to go back for two or three, yeah, yeah, I would not be. So everyone in the country has read this book. Yeah. Everyone, you know, and it's such a huge, weird, bizarre phenomenon that yeah, everyone is going to be interested in in seeing what the fuss is all about. Yeah, yeah, everyone we know is going to read it. I, mean, I, my, called, I have never done this before, but I called people on my telephone, which I hate doing, <laughs> to tell them when this news broke yesterday that, or a few days ago, that Harper Lee has, has another book coming out. Like, people who are not in the book world, mm. who are not online, who, you know, aren't even necessarily big readers, but who I know read and loved To Kill a Mockingbird in school, you know. I made like eight phone calls. I've never done that before. Yeah, it's like a, it's an eight phone call fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... This is also a poll we could run that surely to kill a mockingbird, we'd be number one. But let's say you were an imaginary situation where you met someone you'd never, you've never met them before, and you were forced to start a conversation about a book. What book would you pick? What, you know, thinking what the highest likelihood they've read it is, you'd pick To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Does yeah. anything else even come close? No, because I assume everyone has read it in yeah. school. Right, because it gets taught. Yeah. And people like it. Which um, is an odd Venn diagram. Yeah, right. I mean, there's not that many of them. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can just go. I mean, I could go on and on about the singularity of To Kill a Mockingbird, and maybe I'm going to. And welcome to the show. My name is Jeff, <laughs> and here we are. Um, but that, but that's really difficult to. to it's very difficult to understand in a, in a real way where you feel it to be true more than you sort of can see that it's that it's true. The Book Riot Podcast is also sponsored this week by Dragons at Crumbling Castle by Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett's a New York Times bestselling author, and he sold over 85 million copies of his books worldwide. Acclaimed novels for both children and adults, and a really huge established fan base. Dragons at Crumbling Castle is a never-before-published collection of phenomenally fantastical tales that's now available for the first time in the U.S. A very, very, very memorable cast of wizards, snowmen, dragons and bathtubs and more. There are 14 hilarious stories of mischief, mayhem, and fun with over 100 black and white illustrations. It's a perfect introduction for younger readers to this master storyteller and older fans are going to find it a lot of fun as well. So thanks to Dragons at Crumbling Castle by Terry Pratchett for sponsoring the Book Riot podcast. Okay, well, let's see. Now, let's get on to some of the more details that we've been told about the book. So why now, right? Why, why, why now? And the story we're being told, and you can hear the caveat in my voice, which we'll come back to, but I kind of want to get through the, the facts of the cases that are presented before we call um, rebuttal witnesses, <laughs> um, is that uh, Harper Lee's lawyer, Tanya Carter, who is also Truman Capote's cousin, is that weird. right? Yes, yeah. Weird, yes, um, weird. She is her lawyer, and effectively, as far as we can tell, in charge of Harper Lee's affairs. Uh 
was looking through some documents and sandwiched between two original manuscript copies of To Kill a, Marking, to Kill a Mockingbird was this whole other manuscript, Go Set, Go Set a Mountain. It's not clear that the estate itself even knew it existed or was a thing. Um, according to the statement attributed to Harper Lee in this AP story, her version of events is she just for, she didn't know about if it still was around. She remembers writing it. Um, she is the one relating the story of how this went down with her editor that, you know, she was given a note. Let's make this about uh, Scout. She said, I was young and I took notes and that's what I did. But she didn't remember that it still existed. And if it did exist, she didn't know where it was. And that Tanya Carter, the lawyer, was looking at documents in a quote-unquote secure location. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and here we go. Here's why now. That's why now. Uh, wow. I mean, I what does so it say about that? What are your questions about that? So many questions. Okay. What? I don't even know where to start. Yeah. So it's it's... I read that the secure location or whatever is like a, a vault or some sort of place in town where they keep all of Harper Lee's papers. Lee vault? Can we get Geraldo to go crack yeah, that? I mean, for real. Yeah. So it's like a either that or a safe deposit box. But it would have to be a mighty large safe deposit box. It's supposed to be so, where yeah. her archival papers are kept. So this is where all of Harper Lee's stuff is stored. What was she doing there? Like she... I, I read in a, Ga a Gawker mm -hmm. article, I think, that she was there somewhere, that she was uh, checking up on the manuscript of To Kill a Mockingbird, which this uh, ma other manuscript was attached to. That manuscript of To Kill a Mockingbird is apparently the first one, like the mm. first existing. Right. And so she went to go check on it for reasons I don't understand. And I got to wonder, like, if this is the most valuable literary document in her vault, for lack yeah. of a better word, no one else has noticed? Like, no one else has ever thought to leaf through the most valuable piece of uh, I, I don't detritus, know. you know? And I mean, and we're, nobody we're wading into the waters that we're going to need to get to, but maybe we can sort of bring it up now, is that uh, Alice Lee, Harper's older sister, 12-year-old older sister, and her lawyer died, was it last fall, I think? I've, uh, three months ago, I think. Oh, it was only three months ago. Yeah, so in the winter. And... Alice was, in all, for all intents and purposes, in charge of the Harper Lee estate. Um, Harper, a while ago, even called her her Atticus, like Atticus with pants is what she called um, <laughs> Alice. And she always described herself, Harper, as more like Boo Radley, which if you know, if you know at all, that, she, that makes, <laughs> makes, yes, <a> degree, it <laughs> makes a degree of sense. Um, so I think maybe one thing that happened is, I'm not sure what kind of steward Alice was of the Harper Lee estate, but that there has been a changing of the guard in her legal counsel and estate management. And I would guess this might be just sort of a due diligence thing. Like, what do we have? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they might need to insure it. Um, they might be, you know, they might be needing to drop estate papers uh, of some kind just to make sure things get, get passed on to who is supposed to get them after Harper passes. Um, that makes a degree of sense to me. I'm, I, I am surprised that they didn't know where it was and what was with it. Yeah. But I am not surprised that there would be a new sort of discovery at this particular moment after Alice has died. Does that make sense? Well, but she has been – Alice retired as Harper's lawyer yeah. a few years ago and turned over the reins to Tanya Carter, who is her law partner. So Tanya Carter has been working with Alice Lee – 
this whole time, just assumedly, if she's her whatever protege, mm-hmm. and has been in charge of Harper Lee's affairs for a couple of years. So when did she So what's your conspiracy it? theory then? What, I don't what do you know. Th- I don't have one. You I don't have, have one. Like, it's like it doesn't make sense to It me. all just sounds kind of weird yeah, and not, okay. not necessarily fishy. Just like, what? Well, and think, it doesn't mesh with hmm. my understanding of what I've read about Tanya Carter's handling of Harper Lee's affairs for the last couple of years. I mean, right. Harper Lee's had a lot of legal troubles the yes. past couple of years, but Tanya Carter always seems to be there to keep her like out of the public eye mm-hmm. and seemingly protecting her privacy. But this is the opposite of that, yeah. really. Well, there was, I mean, we talked about this in the show in the long saga of Harper Lee that somehow for a while, Harper Lee's son-in-law wrested control of the estate or the rights to kill a mockingbird. I'm, I'm a little unsure what the scope of the damage was. But there was some nastiness yeah. that got straightened out. Um, and it hasn't been that long. That was maybe last summer. So yeah. who knows? Maybe that dude had the key to this place for maybe. all we know. And only now after Alice's estate has, has passed on, has Tanya gotten around to be able to get it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wanting to be generous, but... Well, having, she was too busy suing that museum. Yes, right, to make sure time. we got our $10 a month from the Monroeville uh, Harper, <laughs> you know, just to make sure. We're, and getting the ebook thing. No, there was some things that were actually going on. But having been through some end-of-life estate stuff and mm-hmm. watched it and been a part of it tendentially, this stuff is messy. So I, I guess I... Maybe, maybe that's not rational, but I'm willing to cut some slack in terms of believability. Like, that's just what happens. You don't get through this stuff until... Later, I, I'm surprised though. I mean, the original TypeScript manuscript to kill a mockingbird that's a multi million dollar document, yeah, right. I mean, that I am surprised about that. And one thing we're learning, even if you're going to be the most cynical person in the world and think that this is all trumped up and Harper Lee is senile and this is all done through power of attorney, which some people think and part of me wonders about, at the very least, this goes to show that Harper Lee is an odd duck. Yeah, because she she wrote it like she's had forty years that we, you know she made appearances in two thousand seven where she was, you know, sprightly and with it and sharp. So it wasn't like she's been in decline for seventy years and just she just didn't care. I guess. Yeah. Like it just wasn't a big deal to her. Um, and you know, in my the piece I wrote for Booker, I said, "What are some of the takeaways?" I'm like, Harper Lee is a complicated woman that I don't understand. And that's fine. It doesn't matter. Who cares if I understand her? But if we're trying to draw, like, conclusions about what might have happened, we're also coming from the point of if we're imagining ourselves as Harper Lee. And I think the very least we know that she doesn't think like most people do. Right. Um, And it might seem like the weirdest thing in the world to have written uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and a manuscript before it and paperclip those two things together and put them in a box and just not cared about where they were. Like you can hear my voice getting weird, but I guess that's what happened. <laughs> well, she's so openly, I mean, I read a quote a while ago where she said all that she wanted was a quiet middle-class Southern life. And that's exactly what well, she, she got made for that herself. more. Boy. Yeah. And so, so she couldn't have had that if at any point in the last 40 years, someone had said, Hey, BTW, here's right. my second novel. Like her life would have been a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me like she was just protecting what she wanted. Without caring about what American right. and it was like you know a bunch of stamps in a shoebox that were valuable that she felt okay doing that with them and yeah. she had what she wanted and and, her, I guess. <laughs> and doesn't and doesn't seem to care about her own legacy interestingly right like she didn't it wasn't well sure her it's good you know like it's solid she doesn't she didn't need to release that book well I mean a legacy I mean the estate 
like her, you know, oh, she, yeah. she wasn't really caring about that everything, the, the, the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted. Um, she was happy with the way things were. And that's completely her right. It's just listen, listening to this now in light of the new book, it's just like, wow. I mean, I wonder if she even has an idea of what To Kill a Mockingbird means to people. Do you I think, so. how um, can she? I mean, I she's done awards and medals, but like, maybe she doesn't realize it. I think she does. I mean, this is obviously completely speculation. Yeah, but yeah, and well, that's what we're doing. No matter how much you create a bubble around yourself, even if you live in a tiny southern town with middle class people, like you're still, she's still constantly mentioned in the media. If she ever looks at a newspaper or the television, yeah. you know, you can't avoid mentions yeah. yeah, I guess that's true. Um, anyway, so that's that's the story we've gotten. And there is a statement from Harper. She's she's good with she thinks she she says um, Tanya found the manuscript, brought it to her. She read it, showed it to a few people, close friends. They thought it was good, and she's apparently okay with having it published. Apparently, apparently. Now Perfect. now let's get to caveat the big the. The Mockingbird in the Room, um, <laughs> which is we have reason to be suspicious about her ability to make informed, rational consent to decisions about herself. Um, there have been stories for a while now that her mental health has been declined. Um, even people who, who, who say that she's still sharp say that she's mostly deaf and largely blind now. Um, the the other side of the story is like you know we're gonna get these once it was like accounts of her at her sister's funeral a few months ago where she was talking loud at inappropriate times and talking to herself and muttering and just not the kind of image of someone who could make a decision like this and write the statement that's attributed to her in this AP story right and then we get people like who is this Billy Wayne Bob today yeah I don't Wayne Wayne so, so they're all named okay. Wayne um, a friend of Harper Lee's who's eighty eight and says she's fine and she's you know sharp and is completely in um, condition to say this uh, this editor that the Vulture did an interview with yesterday and released says yeah the last time I talked to her she was totally fine two and a half years ago two and a, he hasn't talked to her in two and a half years no one from Harper no one is Harper like has talked, talked to her, her directly. Um, only through the lawyer with this written statement. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, and I'm just gonna have to live with. I don't know. We're all going to have to. We're live all with gonna. It. I mean, I mean like, you, what would we? What would we need at this point to feel good about Harper Lee giving consent a video to have publish? Even that, I don't think would be good enough. If there was a video clip of Harper Lee saying, "Yeah, I, you know, I read it, I found it, and please, everyone, read it," I think. People would still be like, yeah, but did they tell her to say that? Does she understand what she's saying? Yeah. You know, like, I don't think it would be taken. Or how about like a three-minute interview with uh, uh, Oprah? Or Barbara Walters or something? Or just like where there's a little back and forth, right? Where she, yeah. you need, what you want is her to get a spontaneous question and be able to respond spontaneously, right? Yeah, to show that she's, to show or that never, that is never it's, going. It's not going to happen. And even if she could do it, she wouldn't because she's Harper Lee and this is what she does. She like, does that's not the, care. <laughs> like that's the other weird part of the story. Any other author, are, all of our red flags would be like on the field because they give interviews. Whereas Harper Lee is the one author, maybe Pynchon, where it's p completely possible, if not likely, that she wouldn't care enough to give an interview confirming or uh, evaporating our doubts. 
Like if this is, let's say, you know, Morrison in 10 years hasn't, hasn't been quiet or whatever. And someone says, we found this sequel to, uh, this prequel to Beloved in her stuff. And, but like, but Tony's not giving anything publicly. We'd be like, oh, like we'd read something into that, which we really, we at least have to account for the possibility that this is just Harper's MO. Yeah. So that actually makes it more singular. Like, not only is it the singular book of, of the 20th century, not only the beloved, and not only the weird circumstances, but the particular feature of this author's behavior just means where it's like Schrodinger's Mockingbird. Like, it's just <laughs> all possibilities have to exist simultaneously, and we're just going to have to be okay with that. Yeah, I asked Twitter, I mean, obviously, anecdota. Right, sure, maps, but that's but what we I have. asked my Twitter followers uh, if anyone is going to not buy the book because... Harper Lee may or may not have consented or there's questions about her consent to it being published. And I got probably 40 answers and one person said no. And one person said she was going to get it from the library Mm -hmm. and everybody else was like, I feel kind of squicky about it, but I've already ordered it. Yeah. I feel squishy about it. Yeah. My guess is, and this is just speculation and no one quote me on this, please is (laughs) that probably in my heart of hearts, Whatever definition I would use to say that she's giving bright, informed consent, mm-hmm. I think probably not. That's my that's just my gut feeling. And again, I have no evidence for that except for innuendo and rumor. But that's what the smell of this sounds like to me. Yeah. Mm, uh, okay. And I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to. And I could very well be wrong about that. Um, you know, it's completely possible that the story we're being given is largely true. Um, and that while her, her sort of senses are diminished, she can, you know, give consent and write and communicate in a way that would make most of us feel okay about this happening. That's completely possible. I think, um, that her lawyer feel, I, this, I cannot, enough caveats cannot yeah, exist I know, I know. for how I'm about to say that this is obviously speculation, but I feel like her lawyer found it. And thought it, and honestly thought maybe this is in Harper Lee's best interest. Like mm-hmm. she'd make a billion dollars on the book, whatever. It's obviously going to be a big publicity draw and all that. And there are so many accounts of Harper Lee signing whatever is put in front of her mm-hmm. by people that she trusts without reading it or understanding it. That I think what happened is well, the, the lawyer, son-in-law case is is Exhibit A for this happening, right? Exactly. And she signed the Carter wrote that statement when that biography, The Mockingbird Next yeah. Door, came out. And Harper Lee came out saying, I did not authorize that. She didn't write that statement. Her lawyer did. And Mm -hmm. Harper Lee signed it without reading it. So we never really will know if Harper Lee authorized that biography. Anyway, so we know that she has a history of finding stuff she doesn't read. And I think that Tanya Carter made the decision that this was in her best address Mm -hmm. and did the lip service of, hey, I found this. Is it cool if I publish it? And Harper Lee agreed without understanding what she was doing. Yeah. I think that that's probably what happened. And uh, and I should also say, when I say that she... I, my heart of hearts, my my gut says that she's not in a condition to consent. That also means that she's not in a condition to not consent. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I think she's just not in a position. My my gut is feeling like she's not in a condition to make a rational, informed decision either way. And Tony Carter is, is a, for all appearances in charge of the estate, um, probably in consultation with Alice Lee, and probably sometime before with Harper's consent. And she is the agent of the estate and has been appointed with making the best decisions for the state. And I think you could make a reasonable argument that this isn't the best decision. This is the best decision for the estate. Yeah. 
I, I don't think, you know, people say, well, exploiting, a, you know, an elderly woman who can't make this. I guess I don't come in, like, I don't think publishing this is exploiting her. I think that's a separate issue from whether or not you think Harper has given her consent to it. Wait, why? Well, exploiting her would be like, I don't know, taking her out on the road when she's in no condition to do it and like giving a bunch of interviews where she embarrasses herself or, you know, publishes, I don't know, personal letters between people that are clearly were never meant for other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, Well, this wasn't meant for public consumption. I, I feel like if she had meant to publish it, she would have already. Well, maybe, but she wrote it. This is the manuscript she gave to her editor. And presumably if her editor said, yes, this is it, she would have published it, right? Yeah. Like, that's kind of the point. I'm like, she wrote this to be a book that was out in the world. And again, there are lots of caveats, but I feel yeah. like there's a difference <laughs> between that and Harper Lee's now dead and we have access and carte blanche to do anything. So let's publish a volume of the Lee sisters family albums, <laughs> which doesn't yeah. just doesn't feel right to me at all. Um, this, at least this was written with the intent of having it published for reasons that were editorial feedback, not really personal decisions. It wasn't something else was written. Um, she didn't decide to do it before. That's incontrovertible. Um, but even if she didn't want to do it before, it's not, I'm going to presume that this manuscript is not embarrassing, right? right? I'm going to presume that it's at least decent. I don't know how good it's going to be. I'm fascinated to see how good it is. Um, but I guess that's where I come down on, like, this was a work that was written for public consumption and for an editorial decision 70 years ago or 60 years or however long. I can't do math while I'm excited. <laughs> uh, it wasn't because the the editor thought that some other manuscript would be better. So I guess I would feel a lot, like I said, it would feel a lot different about it. If this is the private letters of Alice and Harper Lee. I, I wouldn't like that. And I don't think I, I don't think I would read that, to be honest. I don't think I would. buy. Would you buy that? No. Yeah, no. see, it's a spectrum, right? This is not a binary situation, but like there's a whole spectrum of things um, that would be out. So, and uh, and I said in the post, and I don't know, I actually don't know where you come on this, so I'm, where you come down on this particular, and it's a larger question that, that exceeds just this particular instance, but I'm generally on team let the estate publish stuff mm -hmm. um, because, and I don't, I don't love it. I'm not waving the flag and wearing the Gryffindor scarf for it, but... <laughs> um, but in general, I feel like, especially when it comes to literary manuscripts, letters are a different deal for me. And diaries, that I don't feel great about, to be honest. But when it comes to things that were either shelved or half-finished that were meant to be literary documents, poems or you know, novels or short stories or whatever, I think on the whole, the literary community and the, the history of that author are served by having what's available out and for public consumption. Mm -hmm. um, and if an author really doesn't want something to ever see the light of day, burn it, burn it or make explicit instructions in your estate. That's not even going to do anything. Kafka wanted all of his no, letters that's, burned. Well, and Emily Dickinson did too. And so did Virgil yeah. with the Aeneid. And yeah. I, I don't think any of us would now turn back the wheels of time. And, you know, if we had our um, TARDIS or whatever, I don't know Doctor <laughs> Who, but I think it has something to do with time travel. Yes. Or a DeLorean. That I have expert in. <laughs> we would not set a DeLorean to, uh, I don't know, what the Aeneid is like 66 BC or something. And, and go say, you know what? We're really going to throw these Aeneid pages in the fire because Virgil wasn't finished with them. I just wouldn't do it. Um, I think we have to have our eyes open about that and realize when we are in those certain circumstances, privileging sort of the, the group experience over an author's individual wishes. But I, I don't feel great about it, but I guess that's where I come down on it. What do you think about this stuff? 
I um I feel like once a person is dead, I don't care. And I know that's horrible and please mm. don't send me hate mail or whatever. <laughs> but you know, I just you're not gonna hurt their feelings because they're dead. Mm. So I mean when somebody is alive, you should follow their wishes expressly into the letter. Right. With one hundred percent like that is black and white to me. But once once they're dead, I think the estate should be allowed to do Right and are allowed to do whatever they want yeah, with the right. stuff that's left to them. And you 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 can take drastic measures if there's something you don't want in the public. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you like probably, don't leave it to you're just you're just setting up your estate. Whoever's managing your estate for failure. If you're a big literary mm-hmm. person, of course the of course JD Salinger's family yes. is going to release your like hello. He's just setting those poor people up to fail. Or even if it's not them, it'll be the next person. Yeah, Whatever, the next lawyer or the next. You shouldn't have kept or, them. Like, yeah. if you wanted them, if you honestly don't want that stuff out, then don't keep it. Yeah, it's, it's your responsibility. Don't make it your kid's responsibility or whoever. That's, right. that bothers me. Right, and because you've probably set up a will and, and thought about guardianship and stuff. Like mm-hmm. when Michelle and I were thinking about, it, it's like, we had to get to the idea. We just have to make the best decision we can right now with the people we're going to trust with this. Yeah, and trust that they're going to make good decisions. And maybe we wouldn't agree with every single one of them, but guess what? We can't control the future forever. Right. Like, well, uh, good morning. I hope I don't mean to bust your bubble, but um, <laughs> if you really don't want these things to exist in the world, in public, you've got to bury it or burn it or do something else with it. Um, and when you entrust it to other people, you're trusting them and trust is not 100%. And that maybe the, there's also the possibility that authors don't always know what's best for them or their estate and their legacy. Like, it, I don't know. You know. I think it's done out of a desire to keep what they have published out there, like, an untarnished, yes. you know, I don't want to see my first draft of this novel because it was awful and I don't right. want that out there in the world. But if you're so big that your estate is, is publishing your papers after you're dead, no one's going to suddenly not like you because you're, they well, read your first draft of whatever. That's a really good point because some people, and I've seen this, you know, I've got a bunch of comments on my um, post and I was tweeting about it and thinking out loud about it for a lot of the day yesterday. I got a lot of interesting comments. There is some people worried, like, there is something awesome about To Kill a Mockingbird being this, it's one book. Yeah. It's this one snapshot in time, and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And they're feeling like, well, if you have this other book, then it's not that anymore. Well, it's not that anymore. But I also don't think that, you know, the half-finished last tycoon that they published does much to The Great Gatsby. That, that no. you, you know, I, I don't think that Ellison's Juneteenth, which was sort of recompiled by somebody else, tarnishes Invisible Man. Um, they are what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just got a new edition of Jane Austen's Love and Friendship, her early writings, and they're, it's all misspellings, and they're awful, and they're, yeah. you know, infantile, but it doesn't mean that, you know, like, Jane Austen isn't hurt by right. misspellings in Love and Friendship, so. So, I mean, it's not, it's no longer sort of the singular spire, you know, rising out of nothingness and then receding into nothingness. There will be another, you know, I, I'm assuming lesser, structure in the in the Harper Lee um, city. I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor. <laughs> but the, the height of the original one will not be diminished, I right. don't think. So I, I don't worry about that myself. Just like I feel the same way about a, a movie version of a book comes out, even if it's bad. You know, I just don't think it damages that much uh, in the long run. So there's that. Um, boy, howdy. Uh, where else, <laughs> what else do we need to talk about here? Yeah. What, what, we've, we've, we've done our caveats, why we're nervous about it. Um, get used to being a question about it. Uh, I mean, I have no complaints with the publisher doing it. Do you? 
Oh no. Like they got of this <laughs> letter, you know, like, I don't know that I can blame them or hold them accountable if they get a letter from the estate. I mean, we believe that this is actually her words. Like I've had in private conversations with a couple of people, like, is it possible that the manuscript is completely fabricated? No. And I'm like, I don't think that's, I, no. I mean, it's going to be too easy to catch. It, it'd be possible. I'm going to walk outside and get struck by lightning, but I don't know. I, I really don't think that would happen. I think we'd be able to tell. Yeah. Um, I don't think Which they have some Harper ghostwriter that can mimic her so well. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That's how I feel about a lot, especially when it comes to the publisher's responsibility here. Yeah. I mean, it, there have been so many scandals about publishers taking on books that turned out to be com- like fabrications or plagiarized or whatever. That, Especially with something of this caliber, I don't think Harper is going to mess around with something that they don't have all of their legal bases totally covered. Yeah, I'm sure they're legally covered. I'm thinking more of like a larger ethical or moral court of judgment. Um, and even in, in that case, I think I'm exculpating them. Some some people won't. There are some people out there that think the estate and the publisher are taking advantage of an old woman and she wouldn't do this if she were um, in control of her own faculties fully. And I, and I can't dis- – I mean I, I can totally understand that position. It just okay. doesn't happen to be mine. Um, I don't know. What, now here's – I guess – I don't even know what the $64 million question is. Um are you going to read it anyway? <laughs> yeah, I think, do you think this is going to be good? How good do you think this is going to be? The book? Yeah. I don't care. Uh, you don't care? No, no but I mean, yeah. like, you're reading it. Are you expect? Yeah. what are you expecting? Are you expecting it to be, like... I'm expecting it to be a little rougher than okay. To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird went through the whole editorial yes. vetting process, the complete thing up to publication. This book was dismissed, and she wrote an entirely new one. So it hasn't been, you know, even her editor, her, the interview with her, edititor now at Harper said he's not touched it. Nobody's yeah. touched no, it. It's, it's not going to be touched. It's being published Presumably as proofed though, right? You would think. Well, I would, I would Yeah, <laughs> I would think so too. Um, but I, I doubt that it's going to be as good as To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, yeah. But I don't care. Like I'm reading it as an artifact, not as oh, like Oh, that's a, interesting. Like a let's sit down and have a great reading experience. So I mean, I'm sure it is, but mm, you know. So you're, you're putting on your sort of historian hat to some degree. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I think... Probably your sense is right. I think probably what I'm expecting is to look. I'm look. I feel like I'm going to be looking at an unpolished gem to some degree. Probably some piece of it will be great, and some piece of it I'll be like, well, I don't know about that scene or that transition, or you know, there's going to be pieces of it that maybe don't make as much sense. It's going to be fascinating. It's just going to be extraordinarily fascinating <laughs> to see. I'm taking what the day off when I get it. Like, I don't even. I I'm not even <laughs> sure what I'm going to do when I get the book in my hand. Like, am I going to literally drop everything and read it? I think that's going to be my my uh, inclination that's my plan is just to like i don't care where i am uh what's going to happen i mean this is like this is the singular literary event of our, our lives yeah like the release of this book is the biggest thing that has happened in the book world and will happen and in the that book we world can even life. conceive of happening yeah so of course i'm gonna drop yeah. everything and read the thing yeah, I don't know. We need to figure out we're going to do a Harper Lee day that day or maybe the day before because who's going to read our site when that book comes out? Maybe we'll have to do true. it the day before a To yeah. Kill a Mockingbird day because that's what a Harper Lee day is, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, tell us what you I'd love to know what our listeners think. You guys have heard us talk about Harper Lee and the coming and goings. Um, I'd love to know what you guys are thinking about this and if you're going to buy it. I mean, are people going to line up like Harry Potter style? Oh, is there going to be a midnight release? I don't know. I, I mean, we just said it was the singular literary event of our lifetime. If you're ever going to do it. Yeah, that's true. Right? 
Like, like there's no costumes to be had, you know. Oh, there are costumes to be had. <laughs> are you going to dress up in a ham? And no, I'm going to be Atticus. I'm going to have the white suit. I'm going to have a black wig and like big oh. black hornroom glasses. Good, good. Yeah. It's also in the same suit as my Colonel Sanders, just a different Pixar, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but people were going to line up. People are going to line up. I wonder if, if you can get on your library hold list right now or submit your request, I would suggest doing it. Because <laughs> yeah, I otherwise you're going to be, be number 10,000. I have a Ready, Set, Hold video coming up uh, <laughs> next week. That's Ready, Set, Hold is a series we do on YouTube about big buzzy books that are coming out that you should put on your hold list now. And I, that was the first thing I mentioned. By the way, if you haven't heard... <laughs> New you, you do those like a three months ahead? Like that? what's the schedule? How do you try to manage that in terms of I timing? do it like six weeks ahead, okay. but this is six months ahead. So right. Whatever you can do now. Yeah. Go make go start giving your librarian friends tins of cookies or something if you're going to check it out from the library. I mean, the nice thing is that um, the ebook is going to be available at the same time. So in a way, they can handle some of the demand that way if the, mm -hmm. pr if they, if, if the print is really insane. Um, Which that, it will. Which you think it's going to be hard to get the first day? That's what you think? Uh, yes. Two million. Two million. That's just North America. Well, yeah, but it's Harper Lee. <laughs> yeah, I guess people you only need one book, out of every 150 Americans to buy it, basically. People who haven't read a book in a decade are going to go spend go $25 on this book. They're going to go buy it. You're absolutely right. And, and think of the school purchasing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> It's going to be absolutely insane. The Book Riot Podcast is also sponsored this week by Heart of Hell by Alan Maddich. This is the third installment of Maddich's highly popular and addictive Marco Della Torre system Del series. Della Torre is a former secret policeman who's sort of been set adrift. And this, is, this particular book is set in autumn of 1991 in the middle of the... Uh, the Yugoslavian Civil War, where Yugoslavia and Croatia had declared independence, um, and there's a huge amount of political turmoil and violence and torn uh, allegiances and new political orders being restored. Del Torre is sort of wandering around and happens to be contacted um, because he was the last person to see an American agent, Rebecca Vess, alive, and her body washes up on shore. So he's summoned by the U.S. authorities. A couple of her other colleagues are found dead. And as things come to pass, Della Torre also happens to know who the guy who they think has killed him happens to be an old friend. And he has to navigate this really stormy political uh, waters of international intrigue and violence and secrets. So the heart of hell, it's, it's set um, in these years that, you know, a lot of us live through, um, but a lot of us don't know about, very much in the vein of, say, a John Le Carre political thriller or Alan First, something of that nature, these Eastern Bloc, um, post-Soviet era, um, in which that part of the world is being uh, restored. Maddich also himself traveled the world, has lived all over the world, and that very much informs his sensibility of how the world is put together. Maddich is also on Twitter. You can find him at Alan Maddich, A-L-E-N-M-A-T-T-I-C-H. Thanks so much to Heart of Hell and Alan Maddich for sponsoring this episode of the Book Riot Podcast. Yeah, okay. Well, we're supposed to talk about new books, and uh, A, Rebecca is not here, and B, who cares on <laughs> Harper Lee Day. I hear Harper Lee has a new book coming but out. The, the, two, the two books new out this week that I the, the most mentioned, Neil Gaiman has a new collection of short stories and errata, I guess, E-R-R-A-T-A, uh, e -R -R -A -A, not erotica or something like that, uh, called cool. Trigger Warning. So 
that it's been weirdly underplayed. Haven't you noticed? Have you thought the same? Yeah, I think it's because a lot of this stuff has previously appeared yeah, on the internet. Yeah. So, so it's not. Like, but if you're a, if you're a hardcore gaming person, you're going to go get that. And if you're interested in gaming, the short stories apparently there is a shadow story. Um, and Shadow was probably the main character of American Gods, right? Have you read American Gods? Yes, yeah. Okay, so you'd say Shadow's the main character? Yeah, the yeah. protagonist at the least. The protagonist, yeah. So there's a new, that's in, that's of interest to, to probably even mainstream um, gaming fans. The other one is that there's a new Nick Hornby book out called Funny Girl. Uh, so if you're a Nick Hornby fan, I haven't read it yet, but I've read High Fidelity. Um, and what was the other big one? I can't, the one about soccer. Was it just, what was it called? Error? The, the Nick Hornby book about soccer, it was a memoir. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All I know about a boy and high fidelity. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so if you like Nick Hornby, go look uh, for that as well. Anything else to say about Harper? What What, what, what are you like? You're stunned? You're shocked? You're excited? I'm just excited? so stunned. I, I stood up and stared. Like, I stood and stared at my computer for 10 minutes. <laughs> after, you know, like, I've never been this just shocked shell-shocked by book, by book news. Like, yeah. It's just so bizarre. I, I can't even, I, it's still, it's what, two days later now? Three days. What, this happened on Tuesday? Tuesday. Yes. Tuesday. Uh, I still can't quite uh, wrap my head around. And now I'm all. just waiting for all the like, Rebecca mentioned today on Slack, I'm waiting for those uh, think pieces of brave people saying, oh, well, I never liked To Kill a Mockingbird. You know? Oh, man. All the think it would have been brave to do come. it two years ago when there are no page views to be had. Yeah. That's what have been brave. And also not no. liking a brook is never brave. No, it's not. And talking about how much you hate a thing that other people like is not yeah. brave. It's it's obnoxious. So we're thinking about we we've been thinking since we shut the riot read down about trying to do some sort of group read of something. Mm-hmm. And boy, if we we're ever gonna do it, right? Yeah, book, yeah. Right? Like so I don't know what would be fun, like maybe to do like a back to backer. Like the first two weeks of July, we do To Kill a Mockingbird, and then we give everyone the 14th to read, and then we start some sort of, I don't know, we don't have the right, we we could come up with a structure, but we haven't been able to come up with the right structure for how it would be. So I've got a couple of questions, both for you and for the audience that I'd like to hear. If we did some sort of group read, A, would you just be interested in principle of like, Maybe there'd be a special podcast episode and maybe we would do questions and there'd be stuff on the side and maybe there would be, you know, a special forum or something like that. I don't know. I'm just spitballing out there. But in general, would you be interested in some sort of group read of To Kill a Mockingbird and Ghost of the Watchmen or any ongoing kind of book club kind of group read experience? So that's question A. And B would be what would you like to see out of that? What would be interesting to you to do? Because um, I feel like we could do something. I just don't know what it is. What do you think, Amanda? I think it would be great. My only fear would be that I would read too fast. For, yeah. Because, you know, everyone, I'm not alone in being the person who's going to read this in a sitting. Right. So spreading it out over two weeks probably wouldn't happen. But yeah. Well, maybe but I, would, we I could talk about it for two weeks. Well, that's maybe whatever. it is. Maybe it's not. We're not like, okay, now we're gonna, on this date, we're going to be by this page and you can only talk about X. Like maybe it's more of a chaotic free-for-all, which is some people are reading it slowly, but then you come back to it. Like maybe each day there's a different question or maybe we also then, you know, or like here's the passage we're going to talk about today. Like do close readings and I don't know. There's something there, but um, we've got some time to put something together. So just Skype the readers into you with a blackboard. Just just me on a whiteboard (laughs) looking at the first sentence of – Ghost at a Two hours later. I don't know. Probably depending on the – I've written long pieces about the first um, sentence of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Maybe I'll have to revive that. Um, it's one of the great first sentences. 
Um, so yeah, if you've got an idea, if you've got ideas for those, I'd really like to hear it. Cause I would like to try something. I'm not, that's not a promise, but I'd like to take the temperature of people's interest. And I, I know on the back end of book right among the contributors, there's been some interest in some sort of group reading experience. Um, but we don't want it to suck. So how to have something that's interesting and cool, um, that frankly is something sustainable that we can make a little money off of so we can pay people to do it like me and Amanda, our salaries. And we would do some of it for fun as well, but we have a developer and, you know, there's, there's costs associated with it. So maybe would people pay a dollar a month just to have a private group? Reading? I don't know. I don't Like, I don't really want to do ads on it because you'd need to do a bunch of page views to pay anyone. I don't know. So <laughs> it's just, you know, you can see there, there's a bunch of questions and some are business questions because we are a business. Um, and uh, some way that gives readers something they'd like, but also can, you know, help us keep the lights on would be great. Uh, so anyway, all right, that's our show. Any, you want the last word? What, what, any last word need to be said here? I don't think there, it's, it's, no, there's just no. <laughs> I'm dreading, no I'm dreading just the sort of drumbeat of trickles of innuendo. And I don't, I'm not, that's the part I'm not looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to everyday Billy Fort Wayne, who ate waffles at the same place that she did, say, yeah, I saw her in 99, and she seemed fine. I don't, I'm not. what we're starting to get already. Yeah, we're going to, and we're going to get both cases. And we saw people say, unnamed people at her wedding who don't want to get, get mad, the state get mad at them. Like, it's, uh, that, this, the TMZ, I mean, the secrecy fosters this sort of stuff. That's a byproduct of it. And it's not cool, and it's not great. It's just what it is. Um, so we've got several months of that. And once the book comes out, maybe it'll lessen. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, that's our show. It, we, this is not the last you'll heard of this, but this is again. This is our first word on it. And I guess probably when the, maybe. How about this? How about at, at the very least when the book is out and you and Rebecca and I have all read it, maybe we should do a special show where we just talk about the book. Oh, that'd be great. Does that sound fun? Yes. A little three top. Let's do it. And we could do it that way. Amanda, thanks for being on the show. Uh, Rebecca is out traveling this week uh, of all weeks for her Aww. but she, she can come I'm going to have to grill her on her own thoughts and feelings about it next week as well uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want I'm at the Jeff O'Neill O-N-E-A-L is my last name Amanda's at I'm Amanda Nelson spelled just as you would expect um, you can follow Book Riot on Twitter Book Riot just as you would expect show notes for this and all episodes bookriot.com slash podcast I want your feedback you can get to me at Twitter if you're on Twitter um, I know a lot of you aren't, but you can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. I at least look at all of those emails and respond to 99% of them. Some of them don't need a response and, and very kindly say, you don't need to respond to me. I know you're busy. I really do appreciate that, but I do read them all. Um, I'd like to know your feelings about this book, this chain of events, especially about if you are interested in some sort of group reading experience, A, and then B, what particular features might be uh, appealing to you. Can't promise that we'll do all of them, but maybe you'll think of something that we can't. Um, that's our show. Yeah. That is our show. The, the story has just begun here. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>